broadcast it live. Hey, who wants to have some fun? There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this, this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland. Get in you talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Thank you, Howard. And hi again, everybody. Welcome to today's get together. Monday after Thanksgiving, the last day of November. If you're listening on the radio, that means you're in Abbeville or Greenwood or thereabouts listening on WZLA as part of the Evening Drive Sports Show family. If you're listening online, that means you're listening to the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast, and we are happy to have you regardless of which platform you happen to be on. Got a busy weekend to uh, get through and talk about some things today. Tom Van Hoy will be with us as always. Dave Glenn in the second half of the show to talk ACC and much more college basketball. Get started uh, since the last time we got together, and we'll talk a little bit about how that is flowing, what's going on in the world of college football as we come to the end of the regular season and the college football playoff looming. There, there's uh, a lot to get to today, and uh, we'll try to get as much as we can in in the time that we have allotted. Need to tell you that the podcast is presented by our friends at Todaro Pizza. They're located on North Markley Street in downtown Greenville, the West End, just down the block from Floor Field at the West End. And uh, I just keep telling you that if you're not from the Greenville area and you're coming here at, at some juncture, you need to put Todaro Pizza on your food bucket list to do when you visit the upstate because it is simply phenomenal. Uh, they've been doing this for a long time, going all the way back to Dad in New Jersey years ago. Chris came down, opened the, the shop that's still there in Clemson, and then John opens up the Todaro Pizza in Greenville a couple of years ago. The food is phenomenal. The people are even better. They have great specials, uh, including the lunchtime buffet. I just encourage you, go to the website, todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, pizza.com, you can find the operating hours, the menu, the specials there. You can also find them on Facebook at Todaro Pizza Greenville. And uh, we just really appreciate everything they've done for us on this podcast. Also remind you that if you'd like to drop us a line, you can do so. Uh, show at gmail.com is the uh, email address, show at gmail.com. Or if you're following on one of the uh, podcast platforms, simply just leave a comment. And we'd love to interact with you there. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. And when we do, Tom Van Hoy will join us and we'll get ready to talk about a busy weekend and another one coming up, as always. Dan Scott Show slash the Grumpy Old Broadcasters will continue in just a moment. Welcome back as we uh, just get things cranked up here. Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. Everything is a hybrid these days, so why shouldn't we be? I don't know if that means we're either really good at two things or not good enough to do one thing. I don't know exactly what it means, but I do know that we're here. We're on the air in Abbeville, and we're on every platform you can dream of for the uh, the uh, podcast and Tom Van Hoy, I don't know that it's made any difference in the world at all, but it's been fun. That's for sure. Y'all know we enjoy kicking it around every week, and you know I, I know that uh, you, you got a big van, so I don't, I don't think it's a hybrid, is it? But uh, you know no. you got to get from you got to get from point A to point B, no matter what. Yeah, well, 
Uh, that's another story for another time. Uh, that that point A to point B stuff hopefully is uh, on, on the <laughs> yeah. shelf until you know, late spring, early summer. But we'll we'll see what happens. Um, hey, you and I've got gotten to call a couple of basketball games since the last time we got together here on the show. How about that? You know, it's it's a work in progress. We know how things have played out in football, and and you expect uh, some cancellations, some postponements, and you you literally do take it one game at a time, but. You know, good to get back in the basketball saddle, so to speak. And, and Furman's going to have an outstanding team this year. And they put 90-plus points on the board against Tusculum and then came back and uh, did the same thing against uh, USC Upstate and uh, different types of ball games. But but fun to, to get back and have an opportunity to broadcast some games. And, of course, limited capacity at Furman like, uh, like everybody else uh, across the country right now. So, you know, yeah, glad to get two in. There have been some – that are postponed. Uh, I know that uh, UNC Greensboro and, and Winthrop in Lexington and uh, Louisville, Kentucky yesterday was was postponed, and they'll try to they'll try to play that game a little bit later on. So yeah, anytime we can get some games, and it's even better when you got a really good basketball team to broadcast for. Yeah, you know, I, I use this show and, and the platform as a way to generally talk about things outside of my job at Furman, but from time to time it, it creeps in, and, and I think this is one of those times because. In the win over USC Upstate on Saturday, this is the thing that I think has to be scary for future Furman opponents, and that's including the SoCon and, and even the the uh, quote-unquote play-up teams that the Paladins are going to be facing here in the next little bit. Uh, Richmond this Saturday and then two of the next three after that are at Cincinnati and at Alabama as, as long as, as we're able to get them in. That was a 7-7 game with 12 minutes and 14 seconds to go in the first half. And you look up at the end, and Furman scored 91 points. It's just incredible. Once they got it rolling, man, they were gone. Well, and they did that. If if, for, if, if people follow Furman, two of their top players are Clay Mounts and Noel Gurley. And those two combined at 17. That's even more scary, I think, when you take a look at that, because it, two years ago in, against Upstate or last year against Upstate, those two combined to score like 45 points. So able to turn it on, had great runs up 18 and a half. Gosh, I mean, give Upstate credit. They got within 14 to the second half, and then the Furman was able to, to pull away. So um, it'll be definitely they got Southern Wesleyan coming up, and then they've got to go to, to uh, Richmond, and we know how tough that's going to be after they beat Kentucky. Yeah, I just want to talk about that a little bit because you don't want to overlook the, the Southern Wesleyan yeah. game, but all, all things being equal, that, that's a game Furman should win. But then you go to Richmond on Saturday. Again, you say this all with a, a qualifier or a little bit of an asterisk, hoping that, that everyone's COVID protocols stand up. But if you go there and you get that game in, you're playing a team that just knocked off Kentucky in Rupp Arena back on Saturday. And uh, we had mentioned here a couple of times and a couple of times over the course of the first two broadcasts in looking ahead to that game, there are some who thought Richmond should have been a top 25 team in the preseason. And I think they just kind of stamped that with their own approval, if you will, on Saturday with that win over Kentucky. Well, they had 40 votes in that first AP poll, but I think what it does show you too is They've got four senior starters in their backcourt of Jacob Gilliard. They lift him at, at 5'10", but he's probably about 5'8 or so. And he he controlled that game from the backcourt. And then a guy by the name of Blake Francis, about 6'3", left-hander. He had, he had 18. And they're just, I mean, they're just solid all the way around. In the game against um, Upstate, there was a play that Mike Bothwell made up the sideline and he threw it behind his back and ahead and, and eventually got, got a layup. This Gilliard uh, young man, Jacob Gilliard, uh, out of Arsenal School, which is in Kansas City, Missouri, which is right on, on the state line there, uh, he threw one about 40 feet. It, it was classic, going along the sideline and just launched it down down behind his back and, and able to get a slam dunk uh, at the other end. What you saw, four seniors, team that was solid last year. They're missing a guy by the name Nick Sherrod, 6'4", who was a great player last year, and they did all of this. Without him, they're going to have to adjust. But Kentucky, again, great recruiting class. This is how it, it, it happens in Kentucky and Duke and some other places. They started four freshmen, and I think it was pretty indicative of a team that was really solid. And, and Richmond didn't play all that well in the first half. They didn't shoot the ball very well. They were down at halftime. They came back, and they shot 60% of the second half and, and, and won it going away. Now, 
We know Kentucky will get better. They got Kansas coming up on on Tuesday in Indianapolis, and uh, but but to to your point, <laughs> Richmond's going to be really good. And so is St. Louis in in, in the uh, A10 this year. Well, from a Kentucky standpoint, they, they seem to do this just about every year. L- lose a game that you know, quote unquote, they're not supposed to lose, uh, and, and then end up where Kentucky normally ends up, and that that's uh, in the NCAA tournament and, and and as a potential national championship contender under John Calipari. Whether you like his coaching style and his philosophy with the one and dones or not, he's been very very successful there at Kentucky. In doing that, so I, I don't think that this loss to Richmond is going to be a major bump in their road. Time will tell, but it's just intriguing to see. Okay, that's you know two games down the road for this Furman team, and it's a it's an experienced Furman team that's going to go in to that game as well. Um, you know, I hope we get that game in. I hope there's no issues because that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, it should be. And you take and you look at Furman and, and when um, Bob Ritchie took over a couple of years ago, now in his fourth year, you know, went went to Villanova, <laughs> went to Loyola Chicago, won those games. Next year, played at Butler, played at Duke. Last year, really had opportunities to uh, to win the Auburn game, particularly, but but Alabama as well. So these are young men of the program and you're talking about uh, some experienced guys as well. They, they've been in big time games and big time atmosphere, you know, and actually won. And it's also one of those situations where, you know, we get a chance to step up to the next level and see how good we really are. Well, you know, the road game that I'm most looking forward to. Oh yeah. And that's the one coming up uh, in Cincinnati on uh, what's that December the 9th, I believe mm-hmm. uh, a yeah. Wednesday night. So, you know, you can expect, my friend, if, if that one comes off like, like we uh, expect it will, you can expect to uh, get your fill of uh, Skyline Chili and Montgomery and Ribs while we're on the town. It's going well, good to good, gonna be good to see. There's a lot of good Furman people in Cincinnati, uh, in, including uh, uh, the, uh, the folks who, who uh, run and own Montgomery and Evan and Terry Andrews. So, ah. so they're, they're, they had two sons that played baseball at Furman. We've had a number of, of – uh, of uh, basketball players and football players as well as other baseball players from from the city so just another excuse to get there like i need one you know people could see my zoom well, if people could see my zoom background you know yeah well you know i've been all over the country but uh, that's one place that i that i haven't been so i'm looking forward to it and i know you 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 uh growing up in in uh, west virginia mm-hmm. and getting to see the cincinnati reds and that whole background with your family and your your kids to take them there that that's that's a pretty good story too. Yep, uh, for me it was Cincinnati. For you it was Kansas City, right? But yeah, but, but yep. it was a Kansas yep, City I, Athletics. Well, yeah, I actually started with the A's, you know. And I'm telling you what, that summer of 1968 was just about as it was a tough year for the country. '68, <laughs> but without Major League Baseball, I was a couple hours south, and you know I got to go once a year and. Always New York Yankees, you know, but uh, that that was great too. Always, but it's one of those things is when you're a kid and you grow up. Those are the the kind of things in old Municipal Stadium in Kansas City. It, you know, it'd be considered rinky dink. You know, seats thirty two thousand or whatever at that time. But to me, it was the greatest palace there was with the, the white lines, the green grass when you walk up the stairs and first time you ever see it those are things you do remember yeah and the yankees were coming in uh and and playing a double header when you went and it was almost like they were playing one of their farm teams because yeah whenever they needed a player they would you know they'd send <laughs> they would send some money to kansas city or or previously the old st louis browns and take their best player and 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 keep their operation afloat for another year so yes they would <laughs> <laughs> but you know what it was I could throw some names out, but you'd have to be a certain age to remember who they were, or you could go to like uh, Wikipedia or, you know, baseball uh, reference or something like that. But yeah, you're exactly right. That's kind of how it was back in the day, but it was kind of fun when old Charlie Findlay and, you know, he'd do some things and try to try to get some, uh, some folks into the, into the stadium there. And then they eventually went on to, to move to, to Oakland. And it, it was Harry Carey was, one year wasn't he the voice of the Oakland A's? Yes, I think one year. One, one year. So, and then they got the Royals came in in '69. So it was it was uh, an interesting time then too. Hey, let's shift gears to uh, some college football. Let's start with South Carolina, who got pounded again. Georgia beat them 
45 to 16. Uh, interim coach Mike Bobo uh, has yet to win a game. There are reports out there that uh, Ray Tanner may be zeroing in on Shane Beamer, the, the son of the legendary Virginia Tech uh, head coach, uh, retired now, Frank Beamer, uh, who's at Oklahoma as an assistant, to be the next Gamecocks head coach. I saw one report that even had a framework of a salary last night. Don't know how accurate that is, but he seems to be the name that's high on that list to be the next guy to try and turn around this South Carolina program. Well, one time an assistant there at South Carolina, of course, uh, you know, his background, very solid uh, with his dad, Frank Beamer, who was a great coach at, at Virginia Tech. And, you know, he's bounced like a, a lot of uh, coaches do, and and that's just the nature of the business. But, you know, he's on the staff at Oklahoma with Mike Riley, uh, with, uh, Riley there, and, and he, he's got the, the stamp of approval from him. And, you know, we'll see. It's everybody wants a... Uh, it seems like everybody wants a, you know, a big name and they, Spurrier came in and highly successful and uh, Will Muschamp didn't have that great success at Florida, but was well known. And many of us go back to the days when he was the coach and waiting at, at, at Texas and, and, and all that. And then he ends up at Florida and didn't work out uh, at, at South Carolina. And, you know, that's right now that's a, you know, you pull the trigger there and it costs you a lot of money and we know how difficult it is right yeah. now all across the country. So we'll see a lot of names have come up, but I know coach Tanner has said that he'd, he'd like to uh, have a coach in place by the time the recruiting period begins, whether December 16th or signing date or one of my kind of hard to keep some of the dates, Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, but he'd like to have one, I think uh, by, by mid December, if he can. And you've seen all, all the, all the names out there and, and uh, you, you never know, but, We'll see how it how it plays out uh, at South Carolina. What he decides to do there. You know, I, I wish that I could go back into my archives and, and find the clip. Uh, I've, I've never considered myself to be a, a a prophet or a great prognosticator, but I do remember when Ray Tanner hired Will Muschamp, and that announcement was made, wondering aloud on the air if Will Muschamp could not win in a fertile recruiting ground like the University of Florida. Yeah. What made Ray Tanner or anybody else think that he was going to win big at the University of South Carolina? And, and uh, the, the facts obviously are that, that he didn't. He, he was never able to get it going, especially after his own players, his own recruits made up the bulk of his team. He, he simply could not get it done. Yeah, I mean that's the pedigree was you know Texas and some other places and, and Florida and and the, the the record there was nearly 500 and you know I had a, had a pretty good uh, year there at South Carolina but I mean coming in back of Steve Spurrier I think wanted to take the next step I and mean, Spurrier was got them to where they were you know highly competitive and been beating Clemson uh, at a certain point there and uh, I don't know I just just the fact that. Coming out of the SEC, and I think a, a lot of it has to be reputation of where you were. And I mean, I'm just—I'm an old D2 guy, uh, Dan, and I, and I know that there are a lot of guys that were really what pick a sport, great sport, uh, or any sport, but were really good coaches. But they don't—they don't have a shot at the next level just because of uh, you know where where are you? Well, I was at Division Two, or I was an assistant at Alabama. Somebody that is going to if you're in a position to hire somebody, I've always thought it's like, okay, um, if it doesn't work out, I hired a guy that was an assistant in the SEC or a head coach in the SEC, but, uh, you know, what do you want me to do? If you would hired a guy from a lower level and it doesn't work out, then that, you know, maybe your job is in jeopardy, right. that, that type of thing. I mean, Kansas State went with Chris Kleiman. I mean, Kleiman, and again, that's North Dakota State, and the and Craig Bull before him at North Dakota State moved up to Wyoming, did a good job there. Climate took over, won some championships. He's at Kansas State. Now that a little bit of a different story because you, you're you, you were at the FCS level, but you were winning national championships. But still, I think people and fans at the Division One level, Power Five football, you know, they, they want to know where you've been, what you've done, and you know that kind of thing. Yeah, they they don't. Athletic directors don't want to take gambles and at least they want the 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 calculated risks to be as calculated to their favor as possible which, which really tom and and you and i were around when dabo sweeney was hired as the the clemson head coach still working at clemson 
at the time. And, and it really speaks to the out-and-out out gamble that Terry Don Phillips took naming him the head coach after his interim period was done in the second half of the 2008 season. And I remember talking with Terry Don, who was the athletic director at the time uh, on multiple occasions, and he readily admitted that his legacy at Clemson was going to be directly tied to the success or failure of Dabo Sweeney, who had, you remember, he was out of coaching when Tommy Bowden brought him onto the staff to coach wide receivers, never been a coordinator, got the interim job when uh, Bowden was let go after the Wake Forest loss in the middle of the 2008 season. And then Terry Don Phillips decided to make the hire permanent heading into 2009, and obviously the rest is history. But it wasn't so clear-cut when he made that decision. He was willing to take a chance like a lot of athletic directors aren't willing to do so. You're exactly right. I think it'll, at that point, like, what? You know, we can go out and, you know, somebody that's been a coordinator and then go back to all of the bullet points we talked about a moment ago, fire five, assistant here, head coach there. And he saw something in him. I mean, Coach uh, uh, Sweeney, uh, aggressive recruiter, got C.J. Spiller. That was the key to a certain extent. From a recruiting standpoint, let's go get, let's, let me talk to him. Let me go. And that kind of opened the door. And I think Terry Don Phillips saw something there and it worked out, but you're right. That's that you're, you're putting your, your reputation uh, on the line. And I, at one point I, I had a, a friend of mine that was the, uh, uh, he was the president of, of a university and he had to hire a football coach, lower level. But he told me once, he said, you know, I can do all the greatest things in the world here at this university, but if I get this hire wrong, again, that's how, how you're going to be remembered. So when you're talking about leadership sometimes, and we knew, you knew Terry Don Phillips a lot better than I did, but you and I did some baseball locally uh, for, for Clemson at one point, and he, he would come in and sit with us during the game. We got to know him a little bit there, but yeah, that was a, that was a big time decision. And how that one worked out pretty well. Yeah, I think his legacy is is fairly secure in the annals of Clemson history now. (laughs) All right, we need to step aside for a break. When we come back, Dave Glenn will join us. We will uh, take a look at what's going on around the Atlantic Coast Conference and elsewhere. And I I tweeted, or not tweeted, I texted Dave uh, on Saturday night and said, Dave, question slash statement number one is going to be, so much for Florida State's COVID protocols being so much better than that of Clemson. We'll talk about that when we come back. You know, the Seminoles only had, they said, 44 scholarship players available this weekend, which is why that game was canceled. Dave Glenn coming up on the other side as the show slash podcast continues in just a moment. we roll along as the uh, the show and podcast continues if you're listening on uh, wzla and abbeville lee collins is coming up next 5 30 to 7 at abbeville getting ready to play i know this is going to shock some people but abbeville high school is getting ready to play for another state high school football championship who would have thought that was possible right you know, lee will get you all that coming up here in just a bit but we have matters of our own to discuss tom and i and we welcome in dave glenn accsports.com theathletic.com and its subsite the athletic carolinas i think today's the last day that you can subscribe for a dollar a month for an entire year if i saw that correctly little black friday slash cyber monday special do i get any remuneration for these uh, commercials <laughs> for the athletic dave glenn how are you you should how about i include you in my will but that would require you to outlive me is that, I don't know if that math works. Uh, you know what? I can make, I can arrange for that to happen, pal. <laughs> I know people. <laughs> yeah. The down, the downside is I don't want anybody rooting for my early demise. Well, and you know what? And, and, and we won't do so uh, either. Uh, did you have a good weekend? Good Thanksgiving? 
Absolutely. Uh, it was a very simple one. We are a family of four, and it was only the four of us. So my son home from college, my daughter home from college, and we just kind of cut out the travel this year, cut out the invitation list this year, and decided to keep it simple. Uh, and, you know, when your kids get older, you don't get together quite as often. So it was nice to just have uh, two young adults and their mom and dad and our dog and uh, to get together really for the first time probably since August. So happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Of course, I'm thankful for uh, our relationship and, and you guys and your listeners. Yeah, the, the, the dynamic of having the kids grown and out of the house changes things significantly because we had the same thing. You know, we added sons-in-laws and, and grandkids to ours on actually the Friday before Thanksgiving because of everybody's schedules. Uh, but uh, from Tom's standpoint, I think he, he's, he's living the same thing, but both of his girls are still in, in middle school and, and grade school, so you're isolating those four people in that house for that extended period of time, and it's no wonder Tom is sprinting to get to Furman and other places to do basketball games. Yeah, can we do this show for about nine hours? Because as soon as I'm finished here, I'm working on e-learning at the seventh grade level on distributed properties and math. So. <laughs> well, it's equal. interesting. I mean, obviously we are at three different stages of life. So we should be sharing expertise and passing notes to each other. Uh, Dan, you're, you're the, clearly the trailblazer. Uh, I'm kind of in the middle. And Tom hopefully can learn from our mistakes, many of them. Tom, Tom. I'm, bringing up the, uh, I'm bringing up the rear like I normally do. We've all been there. Trust and, me. and took a long time doing it, too. That, that's the other oh, part. Oh, yes. That's, yes, I did. Maybe that's, maybe that's what the podcast should become. You know, the, the, the three oh, of us waxing man. philosophical on stages of life. I don't know. Hey, uh, you know what question one is going to be, Dave? Because we spent a lot of time last week talking about the Clemson-Florida State um, cancellation or postponement or whatever it ends up being. And and your uh, take on the thing was that Florida State felt like its COVID protocols were superior to Clemson's or maybe anybody else's. Well, guess what? Um, they had 44 players, if what I read was accurate, who were eligible to play this week because of COVID, and they canceled that game. What in the name of uh, science is going on in Tallahassee? Well, believe it or not, well, it shouldn't surprise anybody by this point. They would not, they still wouldn't back off the idea that they have the higher level of protocols. They would not do that. Now, they're not going to get back into a public spat about it because they're in the midst of another miserable season. They have players, you know, opting out left and right at midseason uh, after some did that in the preseason. And, and really, it boiled down to the one parallel between Clemson's visit to Tallahassee and the Seminoles would have been hosting of Virginia is that it was only one player testing positive. And Florida State's way of doing things, where, of course, the one player would have to sit out, but their method of contact tracing attached another couple dozen players to the one positive test. So a single positive when Clemson visited Tallahassee made the Seminoles suspicious. Well, how is only that guy going to miss the game? Whereas the Seminoles have one guy test positive and by their way of doing things, they're down to 44 scholarship players, which for those who don't know is roughly half your scholarship roster. So you know, behind the scenes, how, how does Florida State contact trace differently than Clemson? I don't know. But they're not backing down on the idea that, you know, Clemson was reckless by letting their kids go home on an off week and one of those kids tested positive. Um, Florida State's argument is they got one positive, but you could get in a car crash whether you're driving the speed limit or whether you're driving double the speed limit. Um, that's at least their logic. You can take it or reject it at your discretion. Tom? Yeah, I was going to say, Dave, it's, like, it's one of those things where it just depends on what your philosophy is, how you want to approach it. Because if you look at, in Fort Myers, you had Gonzaga, Kansas, Auburn, St. Joe playing basketball and uh, a Gonzaga player on the second day. Actually, there was the situation prior to the Kansas game where there was a positive, And then there was a positive with a player and I isolated him and another player as well. 
and all four teams that were there and their medical personnel, even though they were all there, there was a positive test and, and, or two, and they all signed off on it and they yep. went ahead and they played the game. So, I mean, it's, I think in, in listening to what you said the last couple of weeks, it's just, you know, that's, that's Florida state and, and how they want to approach things. And I think that's kind of where we are in terms of uh, if it is a situation where both medical in a football game, they have to sign off. Either you're going to play or not going to play. In this case, in basketball, they all signed off and they all played. Yeah, and I do know that in basketball, obviously, you're dealing with smaller numbers, and they're taking everything to the next level. I mean, they're 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 trying to use levels of science where, if the three of us were teammates, we're all wearing uh, kind of a bracelet, a scientifically advanced bracelet that beeps if we are too close to each other for too long a period of time. Because if two or four or five days down the road, one of us tests positive, there is going to be a computer printout of whether the other two teammates were near us for too long of a time. And it's not going to be our, you know, taking our word for it. There's going to be these bracelets showing, Yeah. hey, Tom and Dave were within X number of feet for this amount of time, and Dan and Dave were not. So Tom's going to have to miss the game, and Dan's allowed to play. The good news is that because they're being so extra careful, I mean, they're spacing people out on buses and planes, right? And again, that's easier to do with 13 scholarships than 85 scholarships. Um, we're already seeing chaos, by the way, in basketball. In mm. your example, they all played, but as we speak, William and Mary just canceled an NC State basketball game scheduled for tonight and a UVA basketball game scheduled for, I think, almost two weeks down the road. Um, so we're, we're getting scheduled chaos in men's basketball, and it's just one of those things where we have to be ready to expect the unexpected, and as Coach K himself said, you know, the bottom line is no matter how ugly this regular season is, there has to be an NCAA tournament because you can't miss that financial juggernaut for the second year in a row without severe indigestion for the way we, we know the NCAA is run. You know, I uh, was sitting here thinking that I probably could have used that bracelet technology when I was in high school 35 years ago, or maybe other people could have used it where I was concerned. So, you know, we wouldn't be too close <laughs> to one another, but that's another story <laughs> for another time. Uh, let's let's jump into um, uh, the, the ACC big picture before we, we kind of narrow it back down to some football and maybe some basketball stuff, Dave. But the, the league is, is still looking for John Swafford's successor, and now there have been some names that have kind of floated to the top. Yeah, to the credit of David Teal, who, in my opinion, in our time together, Dan, is one of the very best chroniclers of all things ACC. He's now with the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He had an article within the past week highlighting four known candidates finalists, if you will, to be John Swafford's successor starting this coming summer. And the quick names are Clemson president Jim Clements, who I think you and I have been discussing as a candidate mm -hmm. for months. Uh, former Florida State Athletic Director Stan Wilcox, who now mm -hmm. works for the NCAA. West, Co West Coast Conference Commissioner Gloria Navarez. Uh, and ESPN executive Burke Magnus, um, who, who has been negotiating TV deals with the ACC and others for a long time on behalf of ESPN. So uh, one quick observation is another theme that you and I have discussed is that all four candidates have been deeply involved in the college sports culture. And remember, the Pac-12 commissioner, Larry Scott, came from the pro tennis tour. And the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, came from the National Football League. They had very limited, if any, experience with college sports. And the question for the ACC became, man, has, has college sports become such big business that familiarity with the college sports culture doesn't matter anymore? And I've told you months ago that I didn't think the ACC was going to go the way that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten went. It was going to be somebody deeply immersed in college sports. And sure enough, 
these four people, uh, while some of them are un from unconventional backgrounds, you know, Stan Wilcox is an ACC guy now at the NCAA. Uh, Gloria Navarez is a major conference commissioner, right? Uh, Jim Clements uh, has been part of the athletics academic culture of the ACC for a long time. And Burke Magnus, while not maybe traditionally in the college sports culture, has been working with college decision makers for decades as a big time executive for ESPN. So uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, Stan Wilcox is an African-American. Gloria Navarez is a, a woman. So there are two minority candidates, if you will. Uh, but they're all sharp people. And there could be other candidates, but those are um, the four most prominent known candidates as we speak. I'm just thinking of the paradox that Clemson fans would find themselves in. You know, I've been here in, in this area for 20 years now, almost 21, which is hard to believe in its own right. But they, they have made a living almost since the inception of the Atlantic Coast Conference of bad-mouthing whoever the commissioner is because the commissioner comes from Tobacco Road and he's biased <laughs> towards those four North Carolina oh, yeah. teams. And if Jim Clements gets the job, you know, I can see two scenarios. You know, number one, uh, payback, obviously. But number two, the more likely scenario is they'll probably end up being disappointed in Clements as well when he starts <laughs> acting on behalf of the conference at large instead of uh, in his role as president of Clemson University. So I, I don't know that they're going to be happy regardless. Yeah, you may be right. Generally speaking, fans will find whatever conspiracy theory or angle to complain. But uh, one thing interesting about Jim Clements, and keep in mind, the history, the, the ACC is almost 70 years old. Whether it's John Swafford, who is the former UNC athletic director, leading to some of those complaints that you were describing, or Gene Corrigan, who's a former UVA and Duke guy, right? So they all, they have mostly come from existing ACC schools. So those theories have been around, you know, longer than we have been alive. Jim Clements would keep that theme going, the sort of promoting from within the league, somebody who's already in the league, the way Gene Cargan and Jim Swaff and John Swafford were. Uh, but one tweak is that in our time together, Dan, there has never been a time until recently where a university president would actually make more money as a conference com major conference commissioner than as a university president. And, and in just round numbers, Jim Clements, I'm sure, makes seven figures as Clemson's president. I'm not sure the exact number, but it's, it's a, more than a million dollars a year. John Swafford is making more than $3 million a year. So anyone who says, wait a minute, I've never seen a university president on the list of finalists for any major conference. Well, that's because if you're 80 years old for about 70 years of your life, university presidents always made more than conference commissioners. And right now, John Swafford's probably making twice what Jim Clements makes as the, the president of Clemson University. And that's at least, you know, one, he's a sports-minded guy. Mm -hmm. It's not the only reason he'd be interested in the job. But, you know, everybody's interested in doubling their income, and that's what Jim Clements would be doing if he became the ACC commissioner. Yeah, I don't want to give away any secrets as, as Tom gets ready to ask a question, but it's barely, the, the history of the conference is barely inside Tom's lifetime. So yeah. <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, when you grow up with Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra and all those guys. Hey, let me ask you a, and you may be one of the few people that I know that may know the answer to this question, but um, what kind of quarterback was Kendall Hinton at, uh, at Wake Forest? Good, <laughs> but not great. I'll okay. tell you what, man, that was a heck of a story from the NFL weekend. <laughs> Kendall Hinton was an outstanding high school quarterback. Okay. And at, at one point at Wake, he did work his way to number one, but he was overtaken on the depth chart. And eventually he decided rather than transferring or, you know, pouting or whatever, he was going to make the transition in college to wide receiver. So I believe it was his senior year. He was not only a wide receiver, but a really good, productive wide receiver, hence the opportunity he got in the NFL as a wideout. So he, he's an athletic guy, obviously. He was good, I guess you'd say, as Wake's quarterback, but he lost that job. And I can't imagine being asked, apparently, I mean, 
I can't imagine being asked to be the quarterback of a high school football game with only a couple of days to study the playbook. I mean, seriously, unless you're giving me only eight plays to remember, uh, that's, that's a tall task. At the NFL level, with those levels of, of you know, athleticism on defense, but also intricacy in the playbook, I'm not surprised that he went one for nine passing and the Broncos scored only three points. But, uh, yeah, great high school quarterback, decent college quarterback. But I think he'd be the first to tell you he's not cut out to be a quarterback at the NFL level. Yeah, the interesting thing there was, uh, they, I guess, as the stories go, that and if people don't know, he, he started a quarterback for the Denver Broncos because all four of their other quarterbacks uh, were out. I, I guess Denver wanted to sign two two different offensive yes. uh, personnel people that had one time been quarterbacks in college because they knew the offense a little bit better. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, a lot of people thought that game should not have been played. Um, but, yeah, I didn't know what the rules were. If you wanted to activate an assistant coach on game day, I didn't know that that, was, <laughs> yeah. that required, you know, cutting through a lot of red tape. But apparently the Broncos did ask that question. They were told no. And that's how Kendall Hinton ended up there, you know, sort of in the crosshairs. I saw Kurt Warner, the Super Bowl winning quarterback, tweet out this weekend, hey, I saw Kendall Hinton's numbers, but anybody who doesn't appreciate the challenge that was put before him, take a pause before you take a shot at the guy for having ugly quarterback numbers because it is not as easy as it looks, especially at the NFL level. So a lot of folks around here, Kendall's a North Carolina kid who grew up in North Carolina, you know, state champion, I believe, at the high school level, played at Wake here in North Carolina, of course. So there were a lot of people rooting for him. Uh, but, man, what a what an unusual set of circumstances as you kind of face-planted as a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. But under circumstances that I'm not sure anybody else would have done much better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the snarky view of it is he has completed exactly one more pass in the NFL than the three of us have. But, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. A- asking him to do what they did under those circumstances, it, it's a wonder he was able to keep his head for four quarters, quite honestly. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, guys, guys will tell you the jump to the NFL is an insane jump. It, it, just everybody is fast and smart and athletic, and, you know, this, this is their craft. All day, every day, they're preparing for that week's game. I mean, at the college level, you do have classes, you do have academics, you do have other things going on. It's not their full-time job, although obviously it's a huge investment. Um, Yeah, you have to be unbelievably polished as a quarterback. Even a proven quarterback would need more than a couple days of practice to feel good. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he not only had only – I don't know if he even had more than one, maybe one day of practice – much less being only given a few days to learn the playbook. That's, that is swimming upstream to a degree <laughs> that I'm not sure I've seen for an NFL quarterback. Dave Glenn, ACCSports.com and TheAthletic.com. Athletic Carolina is joining us here as he does on the show and podcast every week. And uh, zeroing back to on-the-field matters, were you impressed with what Notre Dame did, especially defensively against North Carolina in that Friday night 31-17 win? No doubt about it. I mean, this Carolina offense is going to dominate the history books in a lot of ways. And they have talent really at every position. And Notre Dame, um, you know, started slowly defensively. And the Tar Heels scored two early touchdowns. But for the most part, that was it. And I think one of the themes of this season in our conversations has been Notre Dame has a championship caliber defense and it is really well coached on that side of the ball. And two of the best players in the league are their safety, Kyle Hamilton, who actually missed part of that game after a targeting call uh, and their linebacker, Jeremiah Owusu. Uh, those, those two guys are like ACC defensive player of the year candidates. And, but collectively the 11 of them just really make you earn everything that you get So the Notre Dame team, championship caliber defense, championship caliber offensive line slash running game, the question has been all along, can Ian Book and that passing game round out the Irish into a team deserving of the college football playoff? And they've frankly gone from a bad passing offense to at times a pretty darn good one. 
So we're, we're headed to the rematch. I mean, it's almost a certainty that it will be Clemson-Notre Dame part two in the ACC championship game. The Tigers, of course, will be closer to full strength, if not completely at full strength. Um, and there is that narrow path. It gets more possible with each passing week where if Clemson beats the Irish in a close one, you know, the ACC is sending two teams to the Final Four. Because when you look around for other candidates, I think a one-loss Notre Dame team that beat a lot of other squads, including Clemson, including a dangerous Carolina team, I think Notre Dame's resume, even with a hypothetical nail-biter loss to the Tigers, would give them a chance to finish in the final four. And, you know, that's a, that would be a feather in Brian Kelly's cap because um, he's had them there before. Uh, but this being this anomaly year where the Irish are not independent for the first time in their history, um, to, to compete for an ACC title and maybe make the college football playoff would be one of the best accomplishments for a guy who's, you know, a lot of people believe is one of the best coaches in college football. Tom? Dave, I was going to say a basketball note here. Can you explain how a team can lose to Massachusetts Lowell and turn around and beat Virginia 61-60 like San Francisco did? No, that's the short answer. Short answer. No, I cannot, I cannot explain that. I think UVA is going to prove to be really good. Uh, they are a lower-scoring, grinded-out type team, so they're occasionally vulnerable to such things. But I think not only do we have the COVID chaos just in terms of um, – scheduling and player availability but I think we're seeing COVID chaos unfold in the sense that teams just are not as prepared as they usually are I mean Roy Williams of Carolina actually used the word unprepared he said he said the Tar Heels were unprepared to play their opener because of a lack of practice time in the normal course of things so UVA's should be fine uh, we've had a crazy week or so I mean Virginia Tech knocking off yeah. Villanova. That Clemson has had a really nice start. Georgia Tech has, yeah. which is you know Josh Pastner's a hot seat coach in their own state. They lost to in-state Georgia State and then lost to in-state Mercer. If you're a hot seat coach in the non-conference part of your schedule, you're not supposed to be losing to two you know back-to-back in-state opponents. So. Uh, yeah, there's been a little bit of everything all over the place. If you didn't see Jalen Johnson's debut for Duke, I mean, Coach K has yet another sensational freshman. So it's it's going to – I think our focus is going to be largely on football in the coming weeks because of Clemson and Notre Dame's place in the national picture. Uh, but basketball is going to heat up quite nicely, assuming limited COVID chaos with the schedule because – I think there's only two or three ACC teams that are not very good. Um, not that the other 12 are all great, but there are probably 12 that can paint a picture where they have a, they have enough talent, depth, experience um, that if they can win their close games, you know, nobody ends up with 12 teams in the NCAA tournament, obviously. But I think there are 12 candidates to produce good seasons, and that reflects, you know, some quality depth in the ACC for sure. Dave, as always, great stuff. Tell everybody how they can follow more about what you're doing. Well, Dan, on Twitter, we're at David Glenn Show. And as you kindly mentioned to start our segment, uh, online, accsports.com. We created that website way back in 1994. It is still alive and kicking. And uh, theathletic.com, the Athletic Carolina subsite. We are past 1 million worldwide subscribers. And as Dan mentioned, yeah, the time is running out on the $1 a month offer. That's about as good as it gets. It's usually about 5 or $6 a month. So if you want to jump in on theathletic.com, join a million others, now's the time to do it. All right, good stuff, Dave. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Good to be with right. you. Take care. See you, Dave. All right, we will take a break, come back, and put a wrap on things in just a moment. Don't go away. Back with the final segment of the show and podcast. Good to have you with us. Our thanks to Dave Glenn for doing what he always does, and that is just being uh, the best when it comes to ACC coverage and, and really beyond the confines of the Atlantic Coast Conference. 
and also to Tom Van Hoy uh, as well for uh, being with us every week. Just a reminder that if you're listening on WZLA here in Abbeville, Lee Collins is coming up next. And, uh, you know, they're going to be talking a lot of high school football, and, and for good reason. Abbeville will be playing in its 14th state championship game and looking for its 11th title. So first ever meeting between Abbeville and Marion. Uh, all the action will be here on WZLA uh, this weekend, but uh, Lee Collins is going to have a lot of that and, and some other things coming up for you as well. For those of you who are uh, checking us out on the podcast, I'll just remind you that we are brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza. T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com is the website. Uh, two locations, the one that we focus on, the most is the one in uh, downtown Greenville on Markley Street, just down from Floorfield at the West End. You can find out all the information about their uh, their menu, their operating hours there. Uh, they're also on Facebook at Todaro Pizza Greenville and uh, also on Twitter at Todaro Pizza GVL. You can follow them there as well. Thank them for their continued uh, sponsorship of the show. And thank you for continuing to listen and support the podcast. We, we need you to help share it. Help us grow, like the episodes, comment on the episodes, no matter what platform you're on, and uh, help us grow this podcast. We're going to be adding some things to it as we move forward and and uh, hopefully get the band back together, get Kyle Oxford and Dory Kidd-Smith in with us again here before too much longer. Listen, have yourselves a great rest of your Monday on the radio, great rest of your week on the podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Until then... I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody.